he's doing. It's fine. Our Old Testament reading is Isaiah 62. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet. Till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent, day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest, and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, never again will I give your grain as food for your enemies, and never again will foreigners drink the new wine for which you have toiled. But those who harvest it will eat it and praise the Lord. And those who gather the grapes will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Pass through, pass through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stones, raise a banner for the nations. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, see your savior comes. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you will be called sought after, the city no longer deserted. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God stands forever. Our New Testament reading is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4-10. through 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to, to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Leah. <clears throat> uh, as Matt said earlier, this is still officially Christmas. I remember uh, days after Christmas when I was a kid and my mom would we'd uh, put on Christmas music in the car or uh, we were in the house and, and me and the rest of the kids would say, Mom, it's after Christmas, you can't do that. 
But her whole point is she would say, this is just when I get to enjoy it. Beforehand, it's just too stressful leading up to all the, all the things I got to do. But now I can have fun. I, I like Christmas music now. And uh, unwittingly, my mom was teaching me the church calendar, which says that um, the preview, before Christmas is Advent. It's a time of hope and a, a time to get in touch with, with risky hope and desperate longing and, and, uh, and painful dreams uh, that, that the Lord would, would come and make all things right. And then after Christmas is these 12 days of Christmas where we celebrate, where we're thankful that he did come and he has begun the renewal of all things. So we have been um, walking through that. Well, because of that, we're, this is our last sermon from the book of Isaiah, where we've been walking through these different pictures of what Jesus accomplished for us in his coming and his death and resurrection that Isaiah the prophet gives to us. We talked about uh, Jesus as the light and the branch and the good shepherd, the savior and the bread. And now uh, we'll end this series talking about the marriage that, uh, that Jesus brings about. Would you pray with me as we dive into the scriptures? Uh, Heavenly Father, I am uh, reminded what one person said, that the content of every sermon is basically the same. Jesus has risen. Who knows what may happen next? We pray that you would fill us with that sense of uh, expectation and wonder and delight as we turn to your word. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. This is a passage about marriage, which I know is uh, sometimes hard to get in touch with. Uh, it's hard to, to actually call this good news. So much of what we see, um, you know, we don't see a lot of marriages where we think, you know what I would like eternity to look like? Is that marriage? If I look at my parents and my aunts and uncles or the people around me, I don't think that, I mean, they're, they're fine. And even my own marriage is good. It's a, it's a lot of harm right? I think we look at marriage and we think, I don't know, is that really good news? There's been some tough ones that I get to see. And uh, when I doubt the goodness of marriage, I always turn to Hallmark movies, <laughs> especially at this time of year. We, uh, we watch a number of Hallmark movies. My, uh, my, my wife's grandmother especially is known to, to just back-to-back -back these suckers. She just loves them, and we, it's what you do when you hang out with grandmother at this time. It's delightful. It's so wonderful to be in there with her. And, uh, and uh, what I love about them is that there is, you know, you could disparage them all you want, but in the end, I'm always happy that I watched it. This is great. You know, there's no, like, uh, mystery to solve. There is no bad guy who's trying to get, you know, trying to steal from somebody. There's no, like, defeat of any. What happens is, somebody has been hurt and they have to like move back home you know they have to they left the big city and they can move back home and they've been injured in some way so they've got a mask on They're, they've got like this this disguise this persona that keeps them tough and safe but there is there is a person an, an individual who's patient enough and loving enough to gaze through the disguise and see the person behind and really delight in them and then they kiss. That's a marriage I can get into. I'm good with that. You know, I think it really does, like the why, where, who decided there's an industry for that? I don't know, like where's the market for those sweet little movies? But the, the whole point is like, we all really want that or else they wouldn't exist. And, uh, and it's true that like, that 
that is a beautiful picture of what the Lord means when he said, you will not be called deserted, you will be called the Lord's delight is in her. That he looks through the masks, he looks through the disguise that we wear to keep ourselves tough and safe, and, he's, and, he, and he looks in and he says, I delight in you. It's an image of marriage to show us what our relationship with our God may be like. And we trace this, we're coming to this, this, uh, this prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah is speaking, is prophesying into a long story of God's people and, frank, and truthfully God's struggle to be married to his people. It's gone on for, for years and years. And he called, uh, he called Abraham and said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And all the nations of the earth will see how wonderful I am by what I'm going to do to you. And you're going to be faithful to me. And then almost right after that, uh, Abraham puts the whole thing in jeopardy by, by telling this other king, uh, that, that girl, Sarah, that's my, that's my sister, not my wife. And so it could have derailed the whole thing. Like no babies coming from Sarah. The whole thing goes sour because Abraham wasn't faithful, but God's faithful. So. And he brought, the, he brought it about. And you keep marching on and Joseph uh, goes, into, goes into Egypt and, and eventually all God's people come to Egypt, but then they get enslaved and they're not in his land. And they're, and, but then God saves them out of slavery. But then he pulls them out of Egypt towards his promised land. And the whole time they're saying, we wish we could go back to Egypt. And God says, I'm, gonna, I'm done. I'm going to leave you. But Moses cries out, you leave us now. All the nations are going to wonder what kind of God you are. You can't leave us now. And God relents and says, I'll go with you. I'll, I'll, I'll stay with you. And he brings them into the promised land. If you're familiar with the, the book of Judges, they come into the promised land. But the whole rhythm of this entire book of Judges is that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And then they go downward because they're doing all this terrible stuff. And then these foreign enemies come in and oppress them. But then God relents. He hears their prayers. And he, and he sends, a, sends a deliverer, a judge, and then brings them back out. But then eventually they go their own way again. And it's been this cycle with God and his people all up to this point in Isaiah where there's been this, uh, this they go their own way. They want their own way. But God says, come back to me. I'll, I'll rescue you. I'll have you back. I will delight in you again, and it goes again and again. But by the time you get to these later prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, there starts to be some uh, despair. Jeremiah says in chapter 13, Can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard its spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. He's saying it doesn't, it's not working. This, the whole point Israel is not that you have to always be perfect it's just that you come back it's just that you say I'm sorry will you have me back whenever I do um, premarital counseling which is really a fun thing that I get to do as part of my role here at Rock Creek uh, this that is the dynamic that I'm circling back to every time I sit down with a couple we're always talking about you know the big questions where are you going in life do you really line up on uh, you know your aspirations for for your place and in, in God's uh, you know in God's call in your life, you're asking all these big questions. What are you going to do on holidays with the in-laws? That's a really dicey one. But then you uh, th but every time I, you have to circle back to uh, a question like, tell me about the last time you fought, and then what happened? Because if this dynamic 
of repentance and repair, that this dynamic of, of confession and forgiveness isn't present, then a relationship crumbles. You know, if you can't come to the person that, that you're supposed to love most or to, to anybody, any relationship, you've got to be able to come and say, I did wrong. And that person has to be able to say, I'll eat that. I won't make you pay for that. And you have to, and, and you have to be able to restore, repair the relationship. If you can't do that, then what happens is there are these little, like, uh, little pockets that form in your relationship. Uh, last time I said I was wrong about that, I got the, you know, I got abused. I just got, there's no way that's going to be forgiven. So I've got to keep that secret if I ever do that again. And then it forms on the other side, right? I don't want to know about those things that you have to keep secret. And by the way, I've got all these things that I don't think you're going to ever forgive me for. So I keep those secret too. And then, you're, and then if you've got these things like you can't touch this, and they say to you, you can't touch this, then eventually what you have to do is just make a bargain. Okay, okay, I won't go there if you don't come here. I won't mess with you about that if you don't mess with me about this. If you can't repent and repair, if you can't confess and forgive, then you pretty quickly end up with a bargain and not a relationship. And what was designed to be, what was intended to be, I see you and I delight in you, has become a transactional bargain. I'll stay living with, I'll stay here if you don't pick on me about this. And God, God is utterly authentic. He can never put up with a fake relationship. He refuses. So why don't we just come back to him? Why don't we just say, I'm sorry, why, why is that so hard for us? Well, because you leave yourself open. If I genuinely come to somebody that I've hurt and said, I really messed up, that, I was very selfish, that was a wrong decision, I sinned against you, they can say, I'll never have you back. That's too much and I can't. I can't let go of that. I'm going to have to pay you back by never speaking to you again or by never being close to you again. That's what you open yourself up to. You open yourself up to, to deep rejection. You also open yourself up to not being the right one, which is something most of us just can't handle. Not being the correct one. In fact, some, most of us can't handle not being right so much that we'll apologize so that we can be right. You know this move? I'm sorry. Now what do you say? You know, it's, because it's, a, it's a thing where we, like, we take this moral high ground and then demand what the response has to be. That's manipulation. That's not confession. I had an older brother in the faith tell me, boy, this one hurts. Do you know how you know if it's a real confession, Corby, if you're really asking for forgiveness from the person that you're, if you follow, if you say, I'm sorry, and then you follow it with this, will you tell me more about what it was like for you when I did that? That's how you know when you're really sorry, when you really want repair more than you want to be right, when you really want closeness more than you want to stay safe. And now it becomes a little more understandable why, why, Jer why Jeremiah would say, I, 
repentance is not happening. That, that people, you just aren't capable of it. By this point in, the, in Israel's story, where they've violated again and again and again. And Jeremiah is saying, you can't change your spots. And at this point in our story where we pick up in, in Isaiah here, Isaiah is speaking into the context where God has, has, been, has begun to hand over his people. God has said, I won't fake it anymore. And now I have to divorce you. And he says in chapter 50 of this book, Isaiah, this is what the Lord says. Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or to which of my creditors did I sell you? Because of your sins, you were sold. Because of your transgressions, your mother was sent away. God is saying to his people, you, can't, you haven't repented. You haven't come back to me. And I can't live fake with you. I can't have this. This is not a relationship if you won't do that. And so he sends her away. And that's what uh, is called, that's the event that the Israelites call the exile. That, that they had their land where God was supposed to dwell with them, this special place on earth where God was supposed to give them uh, all of the blessings of his presence. But they keep violating him again and again and never coming back and saying, I'm sorry, never returning and saying, uh, Lord, do with me what you will, but I want to repair this. I want to be close to you again. They keep violating again and again, and eventually God says, you can't be here anymore. You can't be with me anymore. I'm divorcing you. And foreign powers come in and take them out of their land and scatter them abroad. And that's where Isaiah is speaking, where God has, where God has divorced them. That's why they say, he says that, uh, he says, you are be, you're called um, you're called rejected. You are, your name is unwanted. Your name is left behind. You know that movie Toy Story Three with Lotsa, the bear, the huggable bear. Y'all remember him? I love the Toy Story movies. I'm really big on kids movies because they're like uh, clear enough for me to get like, oh, that's what they're going after. I think I get it. And I love the Toy Story movies for that point because the whole point of the Toy Story movies is, listen guys, you're part of a bigger story. And I know it doesn't feel like it right now, but Andy still loves you. You still have a place. And it, it may not feel like it, but, then, but in Toy Story 3, Lotsa is a bear who, uh, who has a girl who loves him. And then they, they're on a family trip and they stop on the side of the road for a, for a picnic. And the, they, of course she brings Lotsa to picnic with him. She, she loves him. And then, uh, and then it starts, the, the, she goes off to explore in the woods without him, and it starts to rain, so they have to get back in the car real quick and drive away, and there's Lotsa, left, abandoned, forgotten. And he can't handle it. And he becomes, he becomes coarse and mean and controlling because he can't believe that, that, uh, that he was left. He can't live in that place. But of course, our heroes... Andy's toys, Buzz and Woody and the rest, they are called to remember that they still belong, even when they're lost, even when they're facing the trash heap. They're still Andy's toys. They still belong to him and with each other. And that's the call that God gives us. You don't have to get bitter and lonely and angry. He's offering you this, that you belong. Because 
in the story of God and his people, there is always a but God. So God sends his people away. He says, I'm divorcing you. I can't do it anymore. I can't live a fake marriage with you. But in chapter 54 of Isaiah, he says this, the Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment, I abandoned you, but with deep compassion. God says the way to repair this thing is for you to repent, but, and, but I have to send you away because there's no repentance. You're not changing your spot. But then he says with deep compassion, I can't take it anymore. I can't be without you. So he says in Isaiah 44, I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. And listen to this. I have acted. He says, return to me, for I have redeemed you unfaithful Israel was not able to return and repent and so it's God who does it God says I turned now you turn you return to me I acted first I reached out to you or it was impossible for you to come back to me now you can return and that's where God gets into this passage in, in 62 where he says I'm giving you a new name and in, in scripture, when you're naming something, you're proclaiming something over it. You're giving, it's a creational act. And so God is saying, you are so broken that you need to be recreated. And so I'm claiming you and recreating you. I'm giving you a new name so that you will be able to repent. So you'll be able to come back to me. That's why he says, as a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder, so will God marry you as a bridegroom just as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride so will your god rejoice over you some of us got to be part of a, a wedding this this week that took place among folks in our congregation here and uh there was a lot of rejoicing in that bridegroom he is such a tender man and his he has leaky eyes which i love and it just they're pouring just pouring out and his rejoicing over his bride god does the acting i act i come to you and he calls you to respond here's the question that i think we're left with that only advent can solve what if he sends you away again he's reached out again and again all through israel's story i'm coming back to you i'm here i'm, I'm not going to leave you i've sent you away for a time but in a surge of compassion I'm returning. What if he sends me away again? What if, what if because I can't ever not be right? I know that about myself. What if I can't ever really put myself out there and risk being rejected? I can't ever really repent. What if he just sends me away again? And that's where Revelation 19 brings us back to this picture of a wedding. It says, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come. He celebrates a wedding and it's, and it's more than I'm inviting you back into a relationship. It's the wedding of the Lamb. Because at this wedding, this wedding required a sacrifice. And it's the table that we celebrate today. This is the wedding feast of the Lamb. This is the precursor to that great day when God will say, because of Jesus, because of his life and death and resurrection, 
he has died in your place and he has risen again and I can never put you away. You're sealed. That's how we know that we'll never be put away. That's how we know that we're safe to come to God and say, I'm sorry. He can't ever put us away. We belong in the sacrifice of the lamb. The wedding feast is a feast of the lamb. The return, the welcome is a welcome in the lamb, the one who was slain for us. And so when when we come to this table, it's what we celebrate. And when you come to relationships and you have the opportunity to say, I'm sorry. Or when you have the opportunity to say, I forgive you and I won't make you pay for that. It's because you can only do that because you belong in the wedding feast of the Lamb. Because you have been uh, sealed in his acceptance. And so you can risk saying I'm sorry to anyone else in your life. You can risk being the wrong one. You can risk being rejected because you'll never be rejected by him. And you always will belong as the spouse of your husband who looks through your disguise and says, I don't call you rejected. I don't call you left behind. I don't call you deserted. I call you the Lord's delight is in you. I call you married. And all that because of the Lamb. As we ready ourselves to come to his table, we practice exactly what he has offered. He says, return to me because I've redeemed you. Repent to me because I've taken the first steps. I've sealed your acceptance. You can be honest with me. If you'll turn in your bulletin to page four, you'll see at the very top there our confession of sin. Let's ask God to repair us once again. Pray this with me. Please respond. Please pray in the bold. Generous God, you give us the greatest gift of all, yourself. But often we find it hard to take notice. We are caught up with our own gifts, given and received. Forgive us, generous God, for the casual way we treat your gift of love. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. In Advent, we celebrate that we will never be left behind, that God has made the first move. Let's take a moment to silently, privately offer our sins to him, knowing that he is far more ready to forgive you than you are to confess.